0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Hey, everybody. My guest this week is one of the biggest YouTube stars there is. Her name is Hannah Hart. You probably know her from a hit YouTube show called My Drunk Kitchen, in which, as the title suggests, she gets hammered and cooks stuff. But she uh, there's a lot to this to this person. And a lot of fans were surprised to learn about what has happened behind the scenes in her life, uh, throughout her life, in, in her new memoir called Buffering Unshared Tales of a Life Fully Loaded. And uh, not for nothing, she's also a meditator. So here we go. Hannah Hart. Thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. It's really cool to meet you, especially after uh, I listened to the book. I didn't read it. Um, Oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. Awesome. And I was actually in a hurry. I was late. So I listened to parts of it on like double speed. So (laughs) listening to you now is is a little trippy. Is it
1: because I'm not talking like a chipmunk?
0: Yes, exactly. That's Uh, what I'm talking about. I
1: didn't even know that you could listen to a book on double speed.
0: I learned this because a lot of people told me they listened to mine on double speed, and uh, at first I was a little offended, uh, (laughs) to be honest. Uh, But over time, actually, as I've become, because I have to do this podcast all the time, and I I need to, you know, listen to or read people's books, um, I need to do it quickly. I do the double speed.
1: Wow, I have to say that um, reading your book, I don't think I could listen to it on double speed because it would stress me out. There's a lot that happens. Yeah, there's a
0: lot that happens. <laughs> a lot that happens in your book, actually, and uh, I want to talk about that in a second. But let me just ask you the question I always ask first, which is, how did you come to meditation?
1: Oh, okay. Um, uh, an app called Headspace. Yeah. Uh, my sister. You know, obviously, I was familiar with meditation in the casual way, and that you know, your friend drags you do a yoga class, and at the end of it, they're like, and now you're gonna clear your mind, blah blah blah. Um, and it was always like my favorite part of the class, but not something that I found to be really sustainable. It's like I couldn't return to that moment unless I was in a dimly lit yoga studio after working out, you know. Um, but my older sister uh, became is a really. Naomi, Naomi, yeah. yeah. Naomi is a huge fan of an e- app.
0: Even on Double Speed, Naomi? I remember that. <laughs> yeah,
1: Naomi, yeah. I love my sister. Um, Eve, uh, she's a huge fan of an app called Headspace, which has been, I mean, it's brought meditation into my daily life it's amazing and I've really I've learned so much from it and it's so easy to use it has no like you know religious bias which I know turns a lot of people off in terms of like spirituality Da 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 it approaches it from a way that I think even the biggest skeptic would be able to benefit from and I'm by no stretch of the imagination a, a skeptic of all things unknown but I feel like that really opens doors for people who wouldn't normally gravitate towards meditation
0: what kind of impact has it had on you in your life
1: Positive one, Um, (laughs) I would say. Uh, No, it's like, you know the metaphor about you're either a ship on top of the waves or you're like cruising through the ocean? It's like, it helps with my reactivity, you know? Um, On the outside, I'm, I'm always seeming pretty like calm unless I'm like super happy. But on the inside, I can get like really anxious really fast. And meditation has kind of helped me Like control that, but not in an active way. It's so hard to talk about meditation because when you talk about it, you use all these active verbs. But it's really, it's passive. You know, it's 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 not controlled. I'm not forcing myself to calm down. I just have more calm in me. Like my body knows more how to create space between action and reaction. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: it does. Well, at least to me.
1: Yeah. So I hope you meditation experts out there get that. (laughs) The funny thing about Headspace, though, specifically, is that they have this 10 day challenge, which is can you meditate for 10 minutes a day, 10 days? It took me one year to complete it. And after that, I got like really in the groove.
0: It's interesting. You know, uh, actually, I'm friends with the guys who do Headspace. They're uh, phenomenal human beings. Um, I am partial to a, a newer app called Ten Percent Happier, available in the Apple App Store. Um, uh, but we find that too that that people dance around it. They kind of they dip their toe in. They go away. They come back. Um, and it's and I'm fascinated by this. What is it that that stops people from getting started?
1: I mean, the same thing that stops people from putting on their shoes and going to the gym. You know, it's like it's just it's just getting there it's it's resignation you know i woke up this morning and i found myself immediately diving into the same like thought patterns that kind of like brought me down yesterday and i had this thought which was like okay i don't have to think like yesterday today like i was looking so forward to tomorrow and that tomorrow is here so i'm just gonna change the way i'm thinking about today it's like you just fall into what's familiar and it's more familiar to not go to the gym than go. You know?
0: Absolutely. So it's overcoming inertia. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, meant, I've outed her on this before, but my wife does not meditate. <gasps> and um, and I don't lecture her about it because I know that would be, first of all, she would give me a smack. Um, <laughs> and second, it would be the shortcut to her never meditating. Um, but I think her, th- she's into it. She's not a skeptic. She likes that her husband's less of an idiot than he used to be. Still plenty of... Uh, uh, plenty there not to like but um and she's a scientist so she really sees the science and, and is and is is into it just can't get started uh, well,
1: uh, is it okay for like let's say you have a partner who doesn't who's not interested in meditation do you think it's cool to be like hey why don't we meditate together for like 10 minutes and you can try it out and see how you like it
0: yes I've done that with her. We've done that many times. She's um, she, her problem is just starting a daily habit. Mm. But I, do, I don't think I'm really wary of proselytizing. I mean, I have a. If you want to listen to the podcast, that's up to you. And if you want to read my book, that's up to you. And if you want to listen to me give a talk sometime, fine. I don't talk about it unless somebody asks me. Mm. I just because it it's a shortcut to getting really annoying. Mm. Uh, actually, there's a there was a um, a cartoon in the New Yorker. A couple of years ago, I had two women having lunch and one of them says to the other, I've been gluten free for a week and I'm already annoying. And I think that really <laughs> applies to meditation. Yeah. Um, but I think you're absolutely on safe ground if you're with somebody and they're not a meditator and you say, hey, you want to try it together? Where I would, I don't know if this if you're talking about your own experience, but where I would put up a red flag would be if the person is resistant, I wouldn't bring it up again.
1: Mm, got it. God. Man, Resistance. I'm doing that pack right now in Headspace. I mean, ten percent happier. The <laughs> app.
0: <laughs> I have no, no. I mean, I'm I'm strong. I am massively pro meditation. Wherever you do it, is fine. I and those Headspace. If you're doing Headspace, you are in good hands. Those guys are great.
1: Well, I just did. I I did the acceptance pack. Um,
0: pack is there. They do like a little. Th- Andy, the the guy on Headspace, who I want to have on on this podcast soon, um, does themed. Meditation sequences. That's yeah. What they call them packs.
1: Yeah. And um, I was so I was doing the the pack on acceptance when I was working to conserve my mom, and what was to, so conserve to conserve, cons- to conserve yeah. her. And well, uh, gotcha. I'm sure yeah. we'll get on yeah. that later. Yeah, we but will. I was doing the acceptance pack, and what was so fascinating to me is that I did not expect it. I did not expect the question to be, "What are you resisting? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you? What is mm-hmm. it that you're resisting? Instead of, and, and that's really that that question of force. You know, I've always used like a whip to motivate myself. I've always used guilt or obligation or force or just like, come on, Hannah, like, let's go to try and motivate myself. But just as simple as being like, what are you resisting about getting up is such a different question than why aren't you getting up?
0: It's a brilliant question. Uh, My meditation teacher, this guy, Joseph Goldstein, who I've been studying with for a while, talks about like in within meditation, he t- when you're actually meditating, he talks about struggle as a as a feedback. If you're struggling, that's an important source of feedback, and and you should look for what are you struggling against, what are you not accepting, what are you resisting, um, and then you hone in on it and and uh, try to know, bing, not a bang bang so, boom, yeah, not be so uptight about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not that easy. No, it's not easy, especially though. when you're working with some as you've alluded to some inter- uh, maternal issues that are pretty profound, which let's get to. Woo. Um, I, I want to come back to meditation because I want to hear how you found that it's useful on two of the main issues you talk about in your book. Um, buffering.
1: Yeah. Buffering. Unshared tales of a life fully loaded.
0: Uh in fact it shocked the, shocked
1: 15 year olds across the nation
0: it did because of the things you revealed in there that they would not have expected well
1: you know that's it's kind of my joke cuz YouTubers you know I'm a YouTuber and YouTubers get this big old stereotype of having like teenage girls as their as their audience and you know fortunately i've always had like an older an older group of people drawn to the kind of work i do
0: well you you don't want 15 year old kids Getting drunk.
1: No, absolutely not. But I do think that I'm a healthy example of moderation and inspiration. <laughs> it's a very family-friendly program. Watch it with your parents. <laughs> um,
0: it is family-friendly. It is. And yeah. people and the book have... is family-friendly, even though you're dealing with some dark issues.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I feel that exact same way. But it's so interesting to me because at the end, this is just an anecdote real quick. At the end of one of my signings on tour, I see this like like small child, like under 10, single digit, holding my book. And I'm like, uh, and like, it's clear that they just wanted a celebrity to sign a book. And I look at the parent and I'm like, oh, what drew you to this book? And, oh, I'm, are you a big fan? Or And, you know, ha ha ha. And uh, the, the dad was like, oh, no, she just loves YouTube. So we figured, you know, we just wanted to get her the next YouTuber book. And I like, I stop him and I'm like, you should really read this before you let your daughter read this. And I was just so dead serious. And it's not that I believe that we should really like put an age on books, but I do think. That if the parent the parents need to know what kind of questions they're getting themselves into.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, these are, these are I mean, as a parent, these are tricky issues. But you, and we're dancing around it here, but you raise some really serious stuff. I think you do it in a totally forthright way. Uh, and if I had a 15-year-old, which I don't I have a 2-year-old, I would, or a 14-year-old, maybe even a 13-year-old, I would totally let them read this. percent, maybe, maybe 2. Years. Uh,
1: single digits, no. It's, yeah. I think single digits is a little too young, Yeah, you yeah. know? It's like, it's a post-puberty book or a midst of puberty book.
0: Yes, for sure. So I was just going to say the the reason why I want to come back to meditation eventually is because there are two sort of main themes in the book. One is really profound family issues. The other is career stuff and anxiety around career. And I want to hear a little bit about how meditation helps you deal with both of those. But let's just get to the actual book. So in the book, you talk about stuff that I think a lot of people who know your shiny, happy veneer on YouTube might never have been able to intuit. Um, And so I'll I'll let you tell the story. It sounds like you had some some serious challenges as a kid.
1: Yeah, turns out. Um, You know, when I grew up, the book is mainly focuses about like the stigma surrounding mental health and how a lack of awareness and a lack of education and a lack of structure in our society as a whole really creates more harm than good in families that suffer from Mental illness. Um, you know, my mother has uh, has psychosis, um, and it just got worse and worse and worse as we got older. It's really hard to explain this in a nutshell, which is why you know I wrote the book.
0: By the way, we don't. You don't need a nutshell here. You can go as long as you want.
1: Oh, lovely. So the book really deals with kind of my mother's descent, um, eventually culminating in homelessness, eventually culminating in me trying to provide care for her. And my journey uh, from a child to an adult trying to provide care for this person that I love, love deeply and coming against a system that literally told me there's nothing you can do. And I wanted people to read this book because I want people to become aware of the fact that, you know, we're walking our children by homeless people on the street. We're teaching them up. They failed at society. But the truth is society failed them. Mm -hmm. There's this giant gap in our health care in our mental health care that lets people who are nonviolent, nonviolent people who suffer from psychosis, meaning, you know, they're, we don't share the same reality 100% of the time. Nonviolent people end up homeless because if they're violent, they end up in jail, which is horrific. And so you have this huge margin of people that are just ignored. Um, and this is a result, you know, for, for any uh, mental health enthusiast, you'll know that this is a result of the uh, LPS Act of 1960 something, uh, which is in the sixties, they were like, "Oh no, these, you know, we're we're doing terrible things with their mental health care, and we're
0: then, housing them in mental institutions." Exactly, so one and one flew over the cuckoo's nest.
1: Exactly, and then the Reagan era came, and they were like, "Shut it all down," and it shut it all down, but there was no solution put into place. The system isn't broken; it's missing a part. Um. Anyway, so I talk about that and all the issues that stem from it, you know.
0: Well, to me, some of the most poignant stuff was because I was relating to you as the character, less the, your mom. I obviously uh, have um, an enormous amount of compassion for what your mom's gone through, but you're the narrator. And so I really focused a lot. I mean, I think the reader focuses a lot on your experiences as a kid in a household where. Your dad's gone and has joined uh, um, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, with which you have a few, qu- with whom you have a few quarrels, and uh, and then your mom um, is not a reliable parent in many ways, and the, sa- the household was not safe.
1: Yeah, and it's it's sad because you know I opened the book with a quote from my mom that says there are no bad guys in this story, and I think my ability. To have, feel compassion for another person has been a great blessing in my life. And it's something my mother's taught me. My ability to have great optimism is something my mother has taught me. But at the same time, she hasn't been the most reliable parent through no fault of her own. And it's interesting because I thought I lived my whole life with this ability to not blame people. But what I realized as an adult is I was just internalizing all of it. Hmm. Like any parentalized child. I was, yeah, I wasn't mad at them. It's their fault. They're sick. They're this. They're that. I get it. I get it. But meanwhile, I was developing these really deeply seated self-hate issues, you know? It's like when you're a little kid alone in a house, like five, six, seven, and you're scared or you're upset, and you spend as much time alone as I did, and you're crying and you want comfort, eventually you just stop crying Mm -hmm. because there's no one there to teach you how to comfort yourself or no one there to give you comfort. So you just have to stop. Um, and that carried into adulthood and manifested in a number of ways. What ways? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) You know, it's a lot easier to write about than talk about. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Bufferingbook.com, available in stores (laughs) everywhere.
0: Well, just talk a little bit about, I mean, just I have a two-year-old, and so now I'm a little bit more sensitive to the issues of what it's like to be a kid. And, you know, you were, uh, as you said, alone a lot in a house that was not, Sanitary. It
1: wasn't clean. And, you know, I didn't really realize how horrible that was until I got older. And I, it's, it's, it feels like such a judgy word to use the word horrible. And anyone that grew up in the kind of environment that I did, um, yeah, our house wasn't clean. Like, you know, the animals went to the bathroom inside. It was definitely declared uninhabitable a couple times. CPS, you know, would come by a couple times a year and be like, make this fit for human habitation. And I guess I really, really, really didn't realize that that wasn't normal for a long time. Like, what is normal anyway? But I really didn't realize that it was like that, you know? Because everybody's got issues. And I'm, and <clears throat> it's like when you get into, like, high school and middle school and people start talking about, oh, my mom's crazy. Or, like, <laughs> oh, my family's got this. And, like, oh, you don't even know. I was like, yeah. Oh, my God, that sounds so horrible. But then I would go to their houses and I'd be like, Huh you know they have food they have food but doesn't not to diminish any of those real traumas that people endure everyone's trauma is different but it really took me a long time to realize that and I still kind of am in denial I guess that it wasn't it was more abnormal than normal
0: how's your mom doing now
1: great love her a lot um she's doing well she's really working on she's really working hard on everything um she's taking medication we're working with a great group um You know, as I go into embuffering, buffering, I was able to use, well, no spoilers, but (laughs) what I did conserving my mother is not something that happens.
0: Define conserving.
1: Um, when you conserve someone, so there's two forms of conservation. There's probate uh, conservatorship and LPS conservatorship. Probate is what you do with your aging parent. You know, your aging parents no longer able to care for their finances, so you take on their financial stuff. Uh, if they have dementia and Alzheimer's, you're able to help provide them care, get them into a home, et cetera, et cetera. It's literally what we do with our parents when they become older. Probate conservatorship, it's great. They can choose to do it. The issue is, is that if you have someone who suffers from psychosis, which is the only group that falls into LPS, you then in LPS conservatorship are able to help get them care whether or not they're willing to. And that's like, there's a wonderful, wonderful book called I'm Not Sick, I Don't Need Help. And the issue with someone's reality is that when you look at someone and say, hey, you know what, the sky's blue, and if you can't start going along with the fact that the sky is blue, this is causing some real issues, you're going to terrify that person because that's their reality, that's really real to them. Mm -hmm. And so LPS conservatorship allows you to medicate someone, to to be informed the second they get hospitalized, to be able to make decisions on their behalf in in terms of their psychiatric well-being. So what I found that was so shocking is that psych ER and medical ER are different. Psych ER doesn't have to notify any family. Psych ER wouldn't let us in. Because they're like, oh, she's not requesting you. it's like, she's not requesting me. She's not talking about anything. She's saying nonsense. What do you mean she's not requesting me? You know?
0: That's frustrating. So where is she? Is she in a safe place now? She's in a
1: safe place. Um, She's in one of the very, 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 very very few facilities that help, um, that work with the family and with the person to rehabilitate them to whatever extent they can be. In, into society.
0: What, what in you? I mean, you, you, you came out of uh, a, a childhood that was, uh, as we've, I think, pretty firmly established, had its pretty serious challenges. What in you? You ended up going to UC Berkeley, yeah. which is one of the best schools Go Bears. in the world. How, what in you, it's, to, it's absolutely, it's inarguably true, and what in you gave you the strength to apply yourself in school, get into this place, do well there, and do all that you've done subsequently, given, I mean, I think a lot of people would have been crushed under the weight of, which, uh, of what you were dealing with.
1: I, for as little food there was in the house and as much feces there was on the floor, we all loved each other a lot. And I was given a lot of encouragement. And I was, whether or not it's rooted in reality, I was told I was smart and special and I could do anything I wanted. And I was just really encouraged. And that's pretty much it. And I didn't believe it. You know, I was a really grumpy teenager. I was like, I'm not going to get into anywhere. Uh, But I don't know. I just, um, my teachers really believed in me. It's weird because I still to this day believe that it's the encouragement that got me where I am. But I can't understand where that encouragement comes from. It's like to say that the encouragement stems from my actions or behavior feels wrong. I'm just like people have just blindly encouraged me all my life for absolutely no reason. I still feel that way.
0: A serious <laughs> kudo, kudos to your mom because fighting through the fog of psychosis, she was still able to transmit that message to you.
1: Yeah, but, you know, and it's, like, in her own way, like, you know, we didn't have, like, pencils or binder paper, you know, she wasn't help, able to help us, like, wash our clothes, you know, but she loved us, and that message came through, it's, and, you know, it's so interesting, my mom's read the book now, and she was like, you never asked for anything, <laughs> I was like, mom, five-year-olds don't ask for you to do their laundry, Five year olds put on they're like, Oh, pants. Like, you know? Um, but I, I love my mom. She she's an incredibly kind person who was never given the tools to understand that her suffering is not her. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I, just just for the people that don't know anything about LPS versus probate conservatorship, it's really important I stress the fact that LPS conservatorship, the conservatorship to help a mentally ill family member, never happens. Everyone who I worked with in this told me, this is not going to happen. This never happens. To the day that when I finally won my case as a wealthy, educated, white, famous person, the when I walked out of the court, the conservatorship, caseworker was like this never happens Hannah like you've done an amazing thing and I was like this has to happen more mm-hmm. like it, it can't just be that me who's like literally basically at the top of our social food chain still has to really wedge and struggle for eight years to get this done and that's I can take time off work anytime I want and still get paid because I run my own business how's anybody going to be able to do this
0: no, fair enough. Fair enough.
1: <sighs> Gets me. Gets me so, really incensed. It
0: sounds like we need a, we need to think about some serious change here. I, I, there's no question. I mean, there's also no question the mental health system in this country is... Jacked. Yeah, jacked. Better word than I would have come up with.
1: Seriously jacked. And it's so... Yeah, sorry. I have so many things to say about mental health.
0: As they say at Amica, empathy is our best policy. Whether you need auto, home, or life insurance, they're ready to help you protect the things that matter most to you. They're a mutual company, customer owned, in service to you. Amica representatives are here when you need them and you can take comfort knowing a real person will be there on the phone to take care of you because the greatest measure of their success is your satisfaction. third line free on essentials via monthly bill credits versus comparable available plans plan features may vary credits stop if you cancel or change plans well i was just gonna ask you Did you have any reluctance talking about this stuff given your perfect your career and the image you've projected into the world was this a this is a pretty big bomb to drop on folks
1: I can say with total sincerity that the only reason I pursued entertainment was to spread this message. I'm really lucky that I'm funny because it gave me a platform to do this. It's weird though now with buffering out and me being in this career. I'm like, oh, well, I did the thing I wanted to do, what do I do now? What's motivating me? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mom's okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, mom's okay. You're successful. What do I want? It's weird. It's a weird moment. Oh, I th- so
0: this is what you want?
1: Yeah, it's done. Check. Got that message. Like, Oh, uh, I see.
0: <laughs> so what What do you want now? I'm in limbo. Really? I'm in total limbo. You have a lot going on, though.
1: Yeah, I do. But and you, I'm, I'm really excited.
0: You're excited to do all of it, but you just don't know why you're doing it?
1: I don't know why I'm doing it anymore. Yeah. You know, it's like when you're really motivated by family... Or by specific goals, which is I don't want my mom to die covered in cockroaches in a shack.
0: Mm.
1: Without that, and now I'm like, good check. I feel I don't know what's driving me. I, I've I've lost my whip.
0: Let's work on this for, uh, but but before we do. Go back, and for, for those who haven't watched any of your stuff, how did My Drunk Kitchen get started?
1: Well, it's a delightful tale. Um, <clears throat> so as you mentioned, um, I went to UC Berkeley, and I studied English literature and Japanese language. So with my two degrees, when the market crashed in 2008, 2009, all when my generation graduated, we were the overeducated underemployed. How old do you now?
0: I'm 30. Okay. I just turned 30. Happy birthday.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Life uh,
0: gets better in your 30s, just for the record. That's what I'm counting true. on. It's absolutely I'm, true.
1: The 20s were tough, man. Yeah,
0: they are. They're the worst.
1: They've aged me.
0: Yeah, the 20s <laughs> age you. they
1: have aged me. Um, so when when my generation graduated, uh, you know, I saw everyone around me, people who had studied rhetoric and molecular cell biology and and really like things that were destined for, to go places. Just nobody got jobs. Nobody got entry level. There was nothing. So everybody's struggling, and I. Have always wanted to make sure that I was making practical decisions with my life, so I pursued proofreading, copy editing work. You know, um, my secret heart of hearts dream was always to be in a creative industry, but that pursuing entertainment was not practical, and it's too risky. Then there's no safety net, so I would never do it. So I had an opportunity um, to take a proofreading job out here in New York for a company that I was working for part time in San Francisco. Um, it was a part time job here. And I moved from San Francisco to New York. And uh, my roommate, who at the time, uh, my roommate at the time, my former roommate in San Francisco, suffers from chronic depression. And we always lifted each other up by making jokes. And so one day, we were talking on Gchat, uh, because my sister had just gotten me this new laptop. And she was really bummed. And she was like, dude, I just, I miss you so much. Like, I wish we could just hang out and like get drunk and cook. And I was like, dude, I'm going to get drunk and cook for you right now. So I made her a video. And posted it on the internet. It was called Buddy Yo Shit at the time. And then a bunch of strangers saw it. And I was like, qual? And this is March of 2011. Nobody has any idea what YouTube is. Least of all me. The people who have been doing it since 2006, 2008, yeah, they knew. But I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, what? Why are hundreds, thousands of people watching this? And the comment section was saying things like, this is my new favorite show on YouTube. And I was like, show on YouTube? What? But then part of me was like, oh my God, what if this is my chance? What if I could work in entertainment? And so, a couple weeks later, I posted another video. A couple weeks after that, I posted another video. Went back and changed all the names to my- A lot of drinking. Well, I mean, over the course of a couple weeks. (laughs)
0: Um, I and mean, you're in your 20s, you're resilient.
1: I'm also 5'3 and like 120 pounds, <laughs> so I get drunk fast. As much as I don't want to admit it, I get drunk really fast. Really? Yeah. I'm one of those people that thinks they can drink a lot, but then it's like after two glasses of wine, I'm the person at the dinner party that's like, listen to this, guys. <laughs> and they're like, God, she just had two glasses of wine. And I'm like, did I? <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, so I posted three videos, changed the names all to be My Drunk Kitchen something. So it was like establishing a brand. And then at that moment, I did not want to be labeled as this drunk person. So I made a different video called Advice from the Heart. Because I noticed that so much in the comment section was not about people thinking drunk people are funny. It was about people wanting to spend time together. And that was something I could do. I couldn't be a drunk, but I could spend time with people.
0: So you you diversified in a number of ways, right? How many shows do you have now?
1: I mean, being a YouTuber is mainly just about posting content. Um, at first, I wanted to have like flagship stuff, like I did my Drunk Kitchen. I did a show called Toons Day, which is like an interview series where you improvise music, you sing your answers over royalty free tracks. So if somebody asks you a question like, "What's your favorite part about summer?" You'd be like, I love summer cause you get to wear a bathing suit. You know, like whatever. It's much better than that. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Tuesday. Check it out. Um, I do that, and you know, right now YouTube for me has become uh, just a place where I post my video content, videos I want to make.
0: Any video. Any video. So I'm a 45 year old crotchety, you know, elderly human, and so I'm not. I'm not in the. I'm not in the demo for this stuff. So give me a sense of like wh- who are your peers? How competitive is it? What are the right what are the numbers you're aiming for?
1: So the reality is is that YouTube has become a space you know this working in news. How well do salacious headlines do? Very well. Very well. So our headline equivalent is a title of a video. And so there are people that write stories because they want stories to be told, and there are people that want you to know how to lose your butt in 30 days. You know what I mean? Um, so YouTube's kind of the same thing. It's kind of, from 2011 to now, it's literally evolved from an independent inter- 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 independent artistic space to mainstream entertainment. Mm. So on my little humble channel of 2.5 million subscribers, it's a lot. My philosophy so I don't stress myself out and try and play a game I'm not interested in winning is I just post content that I still think is interesting. The other day, I made a recipe for that red wine hot chocolate thing. You know, I just wanted to make it, tried it out. It was delicious. Uh, So is that a
0: My Drunk Kitchen? No. No, you just did it. I just did it. Right.
1: Um, My most recent video is literally taste testing different types of apples.
0: I saw that. Thank yes, you. fun. It's funny, right? So you good
1: clean content.
0: <laughs> do you uh can you make a living doing this? Is 2.5 million subscribers enough to like make a living?
1: YouTube AdSense is not a substantial form of AdSense,
0: income. the ads that you that you can sell through there. It's okay. not
1: nor has it ever been a substantial form of. So income. how
0: do you make What is the substantial form of income for what you do?
1: Well, what I did in 2011 was I started selling T-shirts and started selling merch. And every person that bought something from me in those years, those first early years, literally, they were sustaining me. And you diversify. I mean, I wanted to be a writer. I wrote and published a book. I've made movies with my friends. You take opportunities and you try and capitalize on them. But you need to stay consistent to what your core values are. You're hustling yeah it's 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 exhausting you're working really hard and you have these intense obligations that you want to fulfill which is posting content
0: right you you're in order to sustain your user base you got to keep posting but that's not how you sustain your Life. livelihood yeah so how do you do it? What, what are the sources of income for you now? What, do, what, are your, what are the various projects in your universe?
1: The various projects in my universe include, um, I recently partnered with Food Network uh, for my very first TV show, which nice. I'm really excited about. Yeah, um, I You really, can't tell me
0: anything about it. I can't tell you anything weird.
1: about it except that I'm very proud of it and it's the right time. And I'm happy that I ignored, I'm happy <laughs> that I waited till we had the right team of people with us to go out and sell a TV show. Everybody wanted My Drunk Kitchen to be a TV show, and I was like- Why
0: didn't you want to do that?
1: Why would I want to? Like,
0: Because you don't want to be pegged as the, as the drunk girl.
1: Because I couldn't get drunk for 30 minutes yeah, on a yeah. studio set with the yeah. hot lights. It's yeah. like, or, you know, if I ever win an Oscar, I want to go home and shoot an MDK for the people that got me there. And a what? An Oscar. And MD- DK's My Drunk Kitchen. Okay. You know, I want to be able to have that freedom to post and say and do whatever I want. Television, right. in a lot of ways, you know, is a, you have to work with a bigger partner. And My Drunk Kitchen is just for me and my friends.
0: 2.5 million of them. Yeah. So, <laughs> Food Network show. Yeah.
1: Oh, man. Food Network has been the best. I, you know, I, I'm so, so happy. Um, I'm really excited about it coming out. Uh, 2017. Keep your food network. Stay, stay tuned. Don't cut your cords. Don't (laughs) cut your cords. (laughs) Stay tubed. Um, It's going to be coming this 2017, and I'm really proud of it. And I'm, I'm proud of it. And so, if people don't end up watching it or liking it, at least it's something that I think is really good.
0: Um, so back to what you were saying before that you're kind of in limbo. Tell me more about that.
1: Spiritual limbo.
0: Spiritual limbo or professional limbo? Professionally,
1: everything is good.
0: Yeah, except for if you've lost the wind, you know, to to keep you motivated.
1: Well, the good news is, is that I think it's weird. It's like, I guess that I'm walking without weights, and I've never done that before. So I'm still walking. I just feel weird, you know? It's like... I feel like I have more space in my head and I'm going to use this time right now because I, I really enjoy the work I do and I'm really excited about the projects that are coming up. On the professional level, everything is great. I know how to manage those things and I'm excited to do them. In my private time, my private life, I think I'm going to take this time and really go pay attention to the issues that I haven't been able to resolve, like heal in the ways I haven't been able to heal. That's kind of my 2017 goal. I think buffering my confessional, my Rousseau, my like, this is like, let me just get this all off my chest. By making that all public, it now has afforded me enough space to go back and take care of that kid in that house. Mm -hmm. Because I still am.
0: Yeah, no, she deserves some love. She does. How do you you go about doing that?
1: I don't know. My therapist wants me to do EMDR. What's that? EMDR is like a type of like PTSD recovery therapy thing. I'm supposed to start it.
0: Could you go further into meditation?
1: Probably, it's scary. <laughs> I don't, it's like I have a lot of resistance, I don't know. I'm worried that I'll fall apart in a lot of ways, you know, but I know I won't. I guess it's like I have to believe, I have to know that I won't, because I don't, I've never fallen apart. I've never dropped the ball. But I have this idea about myself that I will.
0: Maybe you should for a little bit. <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: I mean, not in that way, but I think that I just need to trust myself enough. What
0: would dropping the ball look like?
1: I don't even know what would dropping the ball look like. I I guess it's like it's it's an irrational fear. I guess I I worried. I'm worried about something that I've already proven isn't true, Mm. which is that I wouldn't. I would abandon. Whoa! I'm like having a revelation right now. I'm worried. That if I allow myself to process these things to the fullest extent, I'll manifest them. But I'm not that person. Like, I'm worried that I'll be unfit and be incapable of taking care of the things around me. But I. Why? Well,
0: explain what the logic there. Why would you manifest them if you. Because it's,
1: it's kind of like when you're a kid, what version of adults you see. Mm-hmm. And so it's like if you. My version of adulthood was my mom. And so. I think in some ways I'm scared that if I let myself fully process things, I'd become my mom, which is irrational. Yeah. Yeah, but that's probably what I'm afraid of.
0: Right. That's irrational. Yeah, well, that is a big revelation then. Yeah,
1: I'm gonna have to talk about this more next week (laughs) with my therapist. (laughs) Man, I have so much. Yeah, like I don't want to do. It's like funny because I'm really a dancer. Like I dance around everything. Like I can. I. It really. I'm really really grateful for my relationship with my therapist right now because. You know, I do CBT, which is a very specific...
0: Cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which, by the way, works very well with meditation. They often combine it. MBCT, mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy. She does Mm -hmm.
1: tell me. Yeah, exactly. And it works really well because it, it really is kind of like you can't dance from yourself. And that's, I think, one of the most beautiful things about meditation is that I've cried during meditation just out of nowhere. Like, I'll be sitting there being like, I'm meditating. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they'll be like, blup, blup and I'll be like, mm. and I'm like, oh, why am I crying? Shh, just let it happen. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, why am I crying? Shh,
0: it's okay. <laughs> well, one of the mistakes I think people make uh, about meditation is they think it's supposed to, you're supposed to be calm. Um, and that's not the point. The point is to feel whatever you're feeling clearly so that it doesn't yank you around. Yeah, and I just that <laughs> Yes, I'll, I'll I'll take the witness. Um, yeah. and, and, and so if you're crying there's there's that's you're doing it right
1: yeah it's 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 shocking to me almost every single time I meditate I meditate a lot on planes I spend a lot of time in hotel rooms almost every single time I meditate I realize that I have all this like you know when you go through like the body scan moments I realize that I have all this anxiety in my chest and every time I forget that I carry that there like right now in this room I'm not aware of it but if I was to like close my eyes and meditate I'm probably pretty sure I'd be feeling it Mm -hmm. right in the center of my chest and I, what I do is I visualize, I visualize that it's like a like a big threaded ball of, for lack of a better word, like energy, like a big threaded ball of energy that's like a specific color, and then in my mind, when I'm trying, when I'm doing my twenty minutes of like relaxing, I, I kind of am pulling, pulling at little threads and letting them go, and kind of like unwinding it, mm-hmm. you know but not like this oh, no, no, no. forcefully you yeah, just yeah, right just kind of like just kind of holding it and letting it come and go and when i was doing the audiobook i didn't notice it but my director pointed it out when i was recording the audiobook i was holding myself like this <laughs> i literally had my hands in front of my chest to keep myself in that space where i could convey the emotion without having a cathartic experience because if i broke down and started crying while reading. I'm taking that away from the listener. So it's like you just stay, you hover right in that space.
0: You say you're a dancer, but you're also kind of a bulldozer because you've, <laughs> you've done, you've survived, and 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 you've thrived in the midst of adverse circumstances. And and of course, part of the way you've been able to drive that bulldozer is by not maybe forthrightly facing some of the horror. Yeah, big but time. Who's yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a mental health <laughs> professional, but it all sounds like completely justifiable to me that yeah. you wouldn't want to look at it.
1: Yeah, yeah, but you know, from the mindful perspective, I'm always looking for reason and value, and I actually think that stems from my religious upbringing. I've had this big belief in my life that if you do good things, you deserve good things, like.
0: This is back to your dad being a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. yeah,
1: like that literally life is tit for tat. Everything is pursuit of perfection, action-based, very value-oriented, very moralistic. That's probably where the whip came from, you know, which was good. It was kind of like two brutal ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes good things happen for no reason, and sometimes bad things happen for no reason. Mm-hmm. And that is such a hard fact to accept. Because it, it takes away power, It takes away control, you know.
0: Well, maybe the power is in accepting it.
1: Whoa, Dan Harris, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen! If I
0: had a a mic that wasn't tethered, <laughs> I would drop it.
1: I wish you had a DJ little button you could do, do, of do, revelation.
0: I like that. I think you should. If you if you weren't so busy, I would hire you as my hype person. Thank you. That'd be awesome.
1: That's all I want to do.
0: If people want to learn more about you, where, where can they go? Where, where should we send them?
1: Well, if you want to learn about me, you can go to bufferingbook.com and mm-hmm. grab a copy of my book, Buffering on Sheer Tales of a Life Fully Loaded. If you want to come along with me on this journey, um, you can find me on YouTube at H-A-R-T-O, at Twitter at H-A-R-T-O, Harto. Instagram, Snapchat, they're all Harto. H-A-R-T-O. Um, come hang out. It's a good time.
0: Anything else I should have asked you but didn't?
1: Hmm. Oh, question to you, Dan. Do you still struggle with inertia to meditate?
0: Yes. Yeah. That's just the same. You use the perfect analogy for me, at least. It's like going to the gym, it's a pain in the butt. And uh, I don't want to do it. <laughs> Simple as that. Uh, but I know what it feels like when I don't. You know, I've had the trifecta, I've had depression, anxiety, and panic. And I was born on third base, I didn't have any. Uh, um, of the issues that you my parent I had two loving compassionate parents um and I've had all these things and so I know that if I don't exercise and meditate uh my life's going to be harder so I just do it
1: so hard though even when you know it yeah my sister says it's like brushing your teeth it's like yeah you can skip it in the morning sometimes but you're going to you're going to feel kind of gross that
0: yes day. absolutely yeah. I think it's mental floss for it's sure. Mental floss. Both of the both of those things, you know, uh for me both of them are really important. And I I just think it's like you got to find the pain point. It kind of brings us back to what we were talking about before like what is it uh, my fascination with what is it that prevents people from doing this thing or is a friend a new friend of mine from who is in charge of getting people at Google to meditate is like we know the medicine works, we just can't get compliance. And uh, so what are, the, there are, a, I think there's a whole constellation of factors, but this sort of inertia that we're discussing now is a huge one. And I think it's about, you have to see enough the pain of not doing it. You know, if I if I go without exercising or and or meditating for a couple of days, you know, like the voice in my head is just much meaner and yeah. I'm less happy. And I just have to repeatedly have my face rubbed in the poop like a puppy. And, yep. and, and that's what gets me back on the, yeah. the wagon.
1: I also wonder if it's a question of agency which is to meditate or exercise daily but to meditate daily is to admit how much how much you're responsible for in your own happiness and well-being.
0: Absolutely. I I think I mean this is one of my primary arguments and it's one of the things that got me the most interested in the subject is that you know happiness is not contingent upon I mean it's not necessarily entirely contingent upon the, the the brute facts of your life, like the quality of your childhood or your marriage or or your romantic life or your work life. Those things are really important. But when it comes down to it, happiness is a skill and you can you can train it just the way you can train your body. And that's huge. That's like a major headline. That's why I've like, like diverted my whole career to focus on this because I think that's just a huge thing to learn. But you're right. it's It's kind of a tough thing to face too because if you're unhappy, there's a certain amount of responsibility in that, that you have to deal with that isn't to say however that we should be blaming the victim if you've got depression or if the circumstances of your life truly are by object any objective measure or by your own internal um uh feelings about them bad though or difficult um that you, we don't necessarily need to blame the victim but it, it does you do have to wake up to the certain amount of agency we all do have
1: i think that if you're in a certain tax bracket you have a moral responsibility to society To go to therapy and start meditating, so you don't take out your daddy issues all over our political systems. (laughs) Uh,
0: So it's like a sort of a a a mental health trickle down.
1: Yeah, it really should be. But also, it's like people with money have power, and so if you're going to have power, you better be accountable and like you better spiritually progress. You can't just move up one form of the food chain. You know, I live in Los Angeles. There's a lot of rich sad angry people Mm -hmm. and they just it's just like they just won't take care of themselves anyway on that note
0: (laughs) you're a delight thank you very much for coming by I really appreciate it really nice to meet you
1: really nice to meet you too thanks so much
0: okay there's another edition of the 10% Happier podcast if you liked it please make sure to uh, subscribe rate us and uh, if you want to suggest topics we should cover or guests uh, we should bring in hit me up on twitter at Dan B Harris I also want to thank The people who produce this podcast and really do pretty much all the work, Lauren Efron, Josh Cohan, Sarah Amos, Andrew Kalb, Steve Jones, and the head of ABC News Digital, Dan Silver. Uh, I'll talk to you next Wednesday. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey.
2: Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.
3: I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition.